comes. Well, good morning, everybody. Special effects. We spare no expense. How's it going, everybody? Oh, there goes the budget. It's all gone. <laughs> that means we have to keep it below 15 minutes, right? That's right. We pay per minute on the audit. It's a beautiful sunny day, 62 degrees in Arizona. What's it looking like up in Canada? It's uh, an equally beautiful sunny day, minus two degrees Celsius in Canada. Mm. Well, in, in this part of Canada, because there's a lot of other parts of Canada that I can't speak for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have a wonderful guest sitting in we the middle indeed. today. We do indeed. <laughs> Just <laughs> laughing at Peter's comment. Peter's also from Ottawa, so he's totally on uh, in the experiential level with what we've got going on here over at Domino HQ. So, yeah, we have uh, we have Becky Willis joining us here today. Becky, um, give us a, a quick uh, you know survey of your of your experience and your a bit of a bio and uh, helps people understand where you're coming from. Well, hey everybody, um, I currently am in Las Vegas, which is not either of those temperatures. Um, it's chilly this morning in the 40s, which people don't think that Vegas ever gets like that, but it is cold here. Uh, Going to be around 70 this morning later today, so that's that's acceptable. Uh, I've got over 20 years, and we won't say how many years over. We don't talk about that kind of stuff anymore in L&D uh, and uh, corporate L&D, working uh, at Hewlett Packard and all sorts of other folks that uh, I could talk about. And most recently, until the end of 2019, I was working at a learning experience platform, implementing uh, dozens of enterprises uh, in modern learning. So I've... Uh, I've got a lot of really cool experiences, leadership development, HR for HR, doing all sorts of fun things, creating content as an ID and doing some fun stuff. So love talking about strategy, love talking about digital learning, modern learning, depending upon which Jane you want to listen to. Um, and uh, here to be excited to talk to you guys. Very cool. Hi. And it's awesome to have you with us here. Um, I'm, I'm just also reading the weather report in the chat. It's it's uh... across the globe. Yeah, <laughs> Wyoming. I used to live in Wyoming. That's why I live in Las Vegas. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the best part of leaving. No, anyway. anyway yeah. Cool. Um, so to, so so what do we want to talk about uh, here today? I think we were talking in, in our prep, and it's like we got all these these things because you know, because of you the the breadth of experience that, that you've had, uh, yeah. Becky. But where, where where do we want to start? Well, I really, you know, what I'm trying to do uh, in 2020, starting out the new decade, is I've got my own consulting firm, and I'm focusing on um, how people can implement digital learning. How can we really move the needle over to all of the cool stuff that you can do uh, beyond the shiny objects, although the shiny objects are something I talk about. Um, but it's important for us all to understand all of the strategy and fun, amazing things that you have to do to actually make this big change. This is um, management of change for us. We've talked a lot um, in the past about the evolution, about all of the new skills that L&D needs to learn. Uh, so I'm here to kind of gloss over that. Very cool. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's so many shiny things, as you mentioned, and so many tools that uh, 
we often see can solve problems, but there's there's more to it than just simply pushing the the buy button, uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's 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 go there, I guess. So you know, are there things that maybe you should be even thinking about before you push the buy button, especially if you have um, say specific tools in mind, because yeah. um, you you know that you're probably going there, but even before the buy button, what should people be thinking about as they try to bring something forward into there? Yeah, good question. You know, I think one of the things that that makes us do all of this is that we all know that the LMS is not the most popular thing that we do. Uh, putting stuff up on the LMS, again, when I was at Hewlett Packard, you couldn't find stuff. It was uh, a pain to put stuff in. Uh, so we know that we need tools that are in there. But before you go out and think about features and functions and what cool new shiny object I can get, you have to think about what you want your learning strategy to be. So um, I like to think in terms of what is going to work for your company. What are the types of things that your company needs to have? And then what kind of an ecosystem can you put together? It really is more of an ecosystem question. And the LMS is a piece of that. Uh, I, it's not gonna, it's not dead, not going to go away, but there are other pieces of that ecosystem that you can do. Uh, the, the part that I think is really important that I saw when I was working for a learning platform vendor is that people don't really think about anything beyond the features and functions of what they want it to be. I saw RFPs that had 500, 600, 700 questions of things that they wanted it to do, as opposed to thinking about an overall strategy of what learning should be doing in the organization. Mm -hmm. We, um, that's an interesting, oh, sorry. I was just going to say that's, a, that's an interesting comment because I think a lot of us have seen those, but I would venture to guess that there's a lot of instructional designers out there, some newbies that really haven't gotten that far along in their career yet to, to, to know that an RFP and, and those big lists of feature sets is kind of how that work gets done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it is interesting, you know, once I've, you know, see a, an RFP from two years ago, and then what did the that company actually implement when they brought in an LXP, for example? Um, and what, what challenges did they have between the RFP and actually implementing an ecosystem, which was not a word. <laughs> I remember at one point when I was work, I was the person who decided what LXP we were going to have. Um, and I was working on a team and, and I used the word ecosystem five or six years ago. And they're like, "Ew, that sounds so weird. We don't need an ecosystem. <laughs> oh, it sounded like something a politician would do. Um, but it really is true. I mean, it's all part of this cool thing. And Red Thread Research, who I love, Danny Johnson and, and Stacia and, and that whole gang, they've done some really cool work on an ecosystem. Um, and I'll design of an ecosystem. I, it, there's, um, there's an article that I just did in LinkedIn that has a link to that particular um, Red Thread research that I think is really useful to look at there. But Very cool. I digress. Oh, uh, um, on, on, on the RFPs, uh, uh, we've seen, you know, as an authoring tool vendor, so many of them over the years, and, and you, you, you open one up and you're starting to fill it in and you realize that, oh, this is the exact same phrasing as another one that we saw not long ago and you realize that very often those kinds of feature focused things are you know collated from other which is also kind of a clue that maybe there hasn't been the prep work to actually make a decision on what's really needed yeah. beyond yeah. wanting to be able to you know add a pile of features for example yeah 
Yeah, it's it. The features are 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 important, and they're features mm -hmm. that you really want to have, and those are good things to be able to quiz and test out and all that kind of stuff. But the most important thing is from the strategy standpoint, what do you want to do within your company? Do you want to tr create a good learning culture? Do you want something to have something where it's easy for people to get information, to get resources, for subject matter experts and leaders to communicate? There's lots of different elements that are tied to that that are much more important. Uh, then what's the shiny object? Mm -hmm. um, I just was occurring to me, I mean, we've used the phrase learning and management system and learning experience platform in both uh, both of them so far today. Maybe we could just help people uh, who aren't caught up to us in the acronym world uh, understand why those things are, are actually different, uh, even though they're both three letters that start with L. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're talking about swear words. Uh, <laughs> Don't use the... <laughs> Um, well, learning management systems or LMSs as we love them um, have been around for quite a while uh, and they were created for people to help keep track of what learning as, as uh, we thought of it people were doing. So what courses were they taking? How can we implement the course? How can we put the course out there in a global company and offer it to, you know, 100,000 people uh, and see who signs up and assign a, and assign a, uh, an instructor to do it? All of those back-end stuff um, is what an LMS does really, really well. Um, it manages all of that from the L&D perspective. Um, a learning experience platform is a coin that came out, I think Josh Burson probably coined it if if I know him. Um, <laughs> and that has yeah. been around now for about five or six years. Um, and there are uh, probably three top learning experience platforms that are out there today, but there's a whole bunch of them that are coming up. Um, there's the Fosway 9 grid, um, which just came out about two weeks ago. Uh, this is the European version of what um, what exists out in the world, uh, and I I have that. Uh, it's they have a sort of a breakdown of all the different learning systems, um, and an LXP in their view um, is uh, something that sits on in within a an ecosystem that allows users to be able to create content, find content, uh, making it easy. They call it a front door to learning so that anything that is a resource or anything that is um, more than courses can be curated and found in one place. Uh, now there are new people who are coming up within the, the learning platform space that are not purely learning experience platforms. They, they as vendors, choose not to call themselves that. They call themselves learning platforms. Um, and then there are training management platforms. There's enough to really confuse you and make you a little nuts. Um, but there's, uh, there's the right thing to put into your ecosystem. And sometimes it's more than one of those platforms. Um, in the Red Thread Research, for example, they show, um, I think it's about five different companies and some concentric circles where um, a particular vertical has got five or six different competing vendors doing different things within the ecosystem. You don't need something that complex, but you can. What's it like when you're when you're trying to figure this stuff out with a client with a big you know some of the big Fortune 500s that you've been inside of and helped? 
like this is a really big transition. One of the, one of the things I've noticed over the last you know five years is that this is a huge transition, and there are a lot of companies out there that still just don't even realize there is even this type of a transition going on. And so, what is it like to walk into one of these places in a conversation and try to help them figure out that strategy? Because I I think a lot of folks just kind of want to figure that out. Either they're internal and they're trying to sell it up to their management or they're a consultant or a contractor and they want to try to figure out, okay, where do I play in this niche? And I think understanding that mindset of what it's like, what what's your experience been? Are, are execs open to it? Chief learning officers, are, are they excited about it? Or are we still at that, yeah, I've heard about it, but I don't think we're ready yet type of people? Yeah, it really, it depends on the organization, of course, but a lot of CEOs talk about creating a learning culture. Um, the CEO at the at that C-level, they're talking about having the ability for their people internally to be able to upskill, relearn things um, as automation, as uh, everything gets the, to the robots. What are we going to have for new jobs? So the CEOs are concerned about um, the cost of employees that they have currently uh, and being able to reskill or upskill them to new jobs. Um, it has been shown, there's been a ton of research in the past year about um, things that we know from, for example, it, to hire somebody to replace you and your company cost twice as much often as your annual salary. So it makes much more sense from a CEO and a financial perspective to upskill or reskill employees in there. So that from that really, really high up in the mountaintop, they're thinking about a learning culture um, and how can they uh, within the infrastructure that they have, can they create this learning structure? And I don't think they can do it with an LMS. Um, not with most LMSs. There's a few that you can that are a little more modern. But if you want to create that learning culture, then you need to start talking ecosystem and some of the changes. From a CLO perspective um, uh, and, and uh, or VP of learning or whatever, there is um, a really interesting, the global sentiment survey that was done by Donald Taylor um, in the UK. I think that talks about a lot about the five hot items, and I'm going to read these off. So let me turn to my other monitor here. Yeah, uh, go for it. Yeah, the Global Sentiment Survey top five that Donald Taylor showed, and this is this shows what are the hottest topics from a learning perspective for VPs and directors and people like that. Number one is learning analytics. Now we could go on forever about learning analytics, and I'll talk about that however much you want. Personalization, adaptive delivery. So this. That means that whatever content somebody needs based on their job, based on uh, how they're performing, based on assessments, that they get personalized type of content delivered to them really easily. And number three is collaborative or social learning. And this is really hot. I mean, we all remember 70-2010, where we said that, you know, 20% of what you learn should be through your network. I don't think that percentage is really viable anymore, but the uh, learning socially, learning collaboratively, really important. So having a tool that does that, that's really nice. Um, number four is learning experience platforms. I would personally call that learning platforms. And number five is, is artificial intelligence because everything has to have artificial intelligence now. Our native intelligence is not good enough. <clears throat> but 
that shows from a VP of learning standpoint, the kind of stuff that they're really looking for. Um, and what's really interesting to me about these five is they're all connected. So learning analytics is foundational. We need to have better analytics. We need to have actionable data. Uh, we need to be able to figure out from data that we're getting that what we can do. And we can't do that with the current LMS data that we're getting. And number four, the, the platform is how you deliver personalization, collaborative, and AI. It's, it's the delivery vehicle. So that gives me, you know, a, a really interesting point of view of how you can do this kind of stuff. Do you do you ever show the that um, either the grid or um, or Donald's sentiment survey to those execs when you're having those conversations, just to make them feel a little bit better about their choice or if they decide to go that way? Because I know a lot of times influencing is just about well, is my is my colleague, you know, the other CEO at the other company doing this? Or, you know, are other CLOs, you know, yeah. going in this direction? I'll feel much more comfortable if I'm not the first one, you know, jumping out into this space kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the statistics that I typically have shown is companies that have been forward thinking. So um, pe people who have crossed the chasm, if you will, the people that really have done that management of change, implemented the shiny object correctly. The, some of the statistics that they see for what's happening in their organization from a business impact, and they do see business impact and they have measured it. Um, my former company, for example, uh, saw a 70% increase. Uh, we have uh, places where I've worked with, with other vendors where they're seeing 85% engagement. 85% engagement. I'm like, holy Toledo, Batman. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're looking at content platforms that exist out there, um, you know, the most the most famous content platform that's out there in most enterprises is getting maybe a 10 percent engagement. So 10 percent of the company is using a content platform that they've paid a million bucks for. Well, if you layer a learning platform on top of that and you start curating and doing all of the right things to implement a learning platform, uh, I've worked with customers myself and I've gotten them up to 35 to 40 percent for that content platform can't beat that. It's mm -hmm, really yeah. getting return on your investment um, and then judging the business impact. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking about talking to the, the C-level people, the you know the folks higher up. What, what, what happens or, or what do you recommend or, or uh, what advice do you have for the folks who are, you know, the workers, the doers, the, the <laughs> folks in the, in the actual L&D department who might observe and say, hey, we should be able to take advantage of these sorts of things and talk, uh, you know, being able to talk upwards to those folks who may not yet be, you know, in the loop or in the know on that. How do you, how do you, what, what do you recommend for going about bringing that conversation forward and, and positioning it in the best way possible? Yeah, um, interesting challenge. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is really helpful is to talk about the role that, of uh, the people that I call champions can perform in learning. Now, for, for years and years, we've had command and control of learning, uh, those of us in L&D, and it's, it's really nice to be in command. But when you add in user-generated content from um, subject matter experts, from influencers, from leaders, if you add in the ability of yeah. leaders to be able to communicate, um, 
that makes a giant difference in terms of how people are learning and, and uh, tacit knowledge that your subject matter experts have. Uh, it changes the role. It's one of those new skills that we all need to learn in L&D. But that, that yeah. building up that culture and that communication is hot. Mm -hmm. no. uh, I, I think one of the things that it also brings in that is uh, a topic that leaders also are very into is the adaptive mindset. Uh, I've uh, I've been talking with some of my former colleagues who are now spreading, you know, HP people are in companies all over the globe now for some strange reason. Um, and the adaptive mindset concept, uh, Tracy Ibarra, who used to be the CLO at, uh, at HPE, um, amazing person. She wrote something about uh, having an EQ, an IQ, and an AQ, so an adaptive quotient. Um, that is so important in this world where we have to make all these kind of changes. So if you want to talk to your talk up to your leader about um, creating a learning culture, creating an adaptive mindset, using the tacit knowledge and of the people that are within your organization, uh, having a communication tool that leaders can have. These are all things that you don't think about in learning, but can actually create that culture. Mm -hmm. It also, I think, helps that it helps people feel good and people feel valued too. Like I think when you, when you start to move in this direction, exactly how you explained, I think there's there's all sorts of extra value that the company gets that I think is, it may not have been planned, but just just by doing this type of hey, we like your input. We don't have gatekeepers anymore for you to share your input. You can just go and give your input. You're a subject matter expert. Just jump on into our new learning you know, platform and share your knowledge and, and jump in there and add it. And I think, you know, we've talked about this for a long time and it's kind of quieted down a little bit, but, you know, it's like the idea of us shifting our mindset from, you know, just the, the push of us being the ones that go gather the content, pull it in, turn it into something, and then push it out to people. Now it's more of facilitating the conversation coaching. and coaching, yeah. right? And, and, yeah. and, and not pulling in all that content and just hoarding it and leaving some scraps on the floor <laughs> after you've edited the crap out of it. It's more like, no, 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 let's expose all of it, yeah. but let's be the ones that curate, right? And find the best and help yeah. the best bubble to the top. And then maybe there's some great content out there. There but is. Somebody, yeah. But someone pushed it and it's an hour long and you're like, you know what? I can use my instructional design skills to take that fantastic content and turn it into something that's a little bit more consumable, that's a little bit easier yeah. for people to, to handle. And that's where our value still comes in. But I think Absolutely. step one is exposing, giving everybody a platform to, to, to share what they know and to feel valued for being allowed to do that. Yeah, I love the comment and is, but, but what if they share bad information? Oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you know, and, and I cannot even tell you the number of times I have gotten that question. I, it, it happens probably, I don't know, 
50 times I, at each customer. Um, I think I was banks, sitting in a customer yeah. meeting with you once and I won't even say <laughs> who it was, but I remember the hand going up and I remember us all looking at each other when that question finally came because we were expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it, it does happen. And um, yeah, you know, so what happens is somebody who's an instructional designer, nobody on this call, of course, produces a piece of bad e-learning. Hmm. I wonder what happens then. Now, yeah. you know, and that's where governance comes in. And that is a follow on um, opportunity for for more and more coaching and mentoring from instructional design. I mean, that's one of the things that we as the L&D department have to do in this new environment is manage governance. Um, and it's different than we've done it for the LMS. It's a different right. way of doing it. Um, and it's it's more fun. I think. And I, I like the word, I like the word curation better than governance because governance mm -hmm. is just kind of a part of curation. You're basically, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. out there just kind of monitoring things and making sure everything's good. And so you're kind of governing it. But I, you know, the idea of curating it when you're the one that says, yeah, you know what, that's good content and that's good. And, and you do something in the system to help elevate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, then, that then, you know, that's a, that's a part of governance, but governance still sounds so command and control to me. I don't know. Yeah, true. Well, it is, but it is a topic that does come up a lot. So and when you're having those conversations, right. yes. it makes and the how are you going to govern good. that? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So you want to make them feel good. You've got to, you got to throw that, that in there. You know, it's interesting. One of the, um, one of the customers that I've had um, is an extremely large retailer um, who just recently in the past couple of years changed their whole L&D department. They, um, to be really bluntly honest, laid off a whole lot of people and brought in a whole bunch of different people. Um, and what they brought in were people that they called experienced designers. Now, there is no reason that someone who is an instructional designer and who understands all of the lovely things that we have to understand as an ID can't be a really great experienced designer. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just adding in some different things. But one of the things that they've embraced is a lot of is a lot of video. Um, and so there are a lot of tools, new tools that they're using to create. Um, and they're doing it with some different rapid development tools, uh, but they're calling themselves experienced designers. Mm. Which is great because uh, for those of you who maybe missed a couple shows back, or maybe it was even last week, geez, I get them all mixed up, but uh, uh, we had, uh, we were talking about that, that role of experience design. Our, our good friend, Jeff Tillett was uh, calls himself mm -hmm. an experienced designer. And that's what he's been in his job for, uh, you know, or his jobs, his past jobs, he's, he's freelance now um, for for years. And he was working in some big, big, big high level fruit companies. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Becky, we, we've talked about, you know, the, the C-level, if there's that interest in, in bringing something forward. And, and then us as L&D, uh, you know, uh, trench, the trench uh, folks, um, what kinds of things do you have to think about when you start to take something then and put it out and get, uh, you know, actual user adoption, actual user participation um, in moving to, say, implementing a new system or a new tool or, or something like that? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that I think we've all fought uh, bitterly about is uh, micro learning. <laughs> um, and <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Carla, Tor <laughs> Carla Torgensen has a really cool new book about it. She's been doing some good talks about it. Um, there's a book that I have over here on the side about, you know, the micro learning book on micro learning. Um, I think that, you know, understanding what you can do within the concept of uh, building paths, uh, building pathways, uh, how do you actually use uh, the fact that we have a low attention span anymore. Um, I don't know if you've noticed because my hair is, is not really the color that it really is, uh, but I'm not a millennial. I'm sorry to admit I'm not a millennial, um, but my behavior and the way that I learn is um, I basically want to go on YouTube and I want to see how to do it and I don't want to spend a lot of time and I want to see experts and I want to do all those things. So we need to learn all of those tools that give us the ability to do the the micro learning and pathways and how do you build it? How do you adjust to that? Um, that's, I think, one thing that I've seen so much, so many people pushing against um, is, well, you can't learn anything in two minutes. Well, I can I can see a video on how to change a tire on my car and figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's a place where we're starting to see the the blurring almost really of uh, what we consider traditional training, um, and then also performance support. Uh, you know, we're, are we providing information to solve a very immediate problem, or are we looking to teach people something that they actually have to maintain in long term retention, or is this a one off thing and therefore we can provide something you know quick and brief that might actually lead to a conclusion quickly. And this is where that this is where that ecosystem conversation comes in, right? Because there's yeah. now we've got such a broad toolbox of technologies to draw yeah. from that you do. And, and Thomas Harrell dropped in. Hi, Thomas. It's always good to see him in the chat as well. You mentioned too the um, uh, you know, just the idea that it's, it's different for all companies. And it's a each of these new technologies is just a piece of that puzzle, right? A lot of the pieces you already have in your company, like a chat platform or a, a shared drive where you, where you share documents or, you know, SharePoint has a whole bunch of stuff. People may not like it, but you know what? If you've got it, you should use it, right? There's things like that. There's, you know, some companies have Slack, you know, and they and you can use that for a lot yeah. of different things, right? Yeah. There's you know, there's, a, there's a lot of different elements and you've got to pick and choose, figure out to your point to take this full circle again. If you don't know what your strategy is first, you're not going to know which of these many, many, many technologies to choose from, how to get them and start pulling them together and, and to be able to address that overall strategy as you go yeah. forward. Yeah. But we got choices. We got a lot of them. We got a lot of good choices and, and mm -hmm. a lot of ways where we can coach people, you know, coach other people to do some of that development as well. I think um, the other tools that are important for us to learn now, nowadays, is the concept of marketing. You don't have to be a marketing guru, but the concept of marketing and how do you market learning out there? How do you create something that people want to do? Um, and then data analytics. Um you know, you guys do a lot of stuff on, on analytics, but uh, it is really important for us to figure out what is actionable data, what is data that we really need, what kind of stuff are we actually going to put on a dashboard, and it's not butts and seats. It's just not that. Um, it was really fun for me to work with data analysts at our customers um, and the people that I've talked to and figure out what is going to help 
people to figure out what's the best content. What, how do you do needs analysis off of a learning platform? Um, how do you do that? In addition to talking to your customers, of course, what a strange concept, um, but how do you get actionable data out of all of this? And that's one thing a learning platform does give you. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, oh, go ahead, Chris, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was a thought occurred to me, uh, you, you know, how often do you end up talking to a group that's trying to implement something or moving towards, say, something like a new system of some sort, et cetera, and uh, how often do you actually hear that they actually talk to the learning audience to see what they might actually feel is helpful? Um, yeah, not very often. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like such a silly question, right? But it's like, it's so often skipped. <laughs> because it's it's awfully easy to see the bright and shiny and say, oh, that would help us. But maybe that's not yeah. actually the problem, you know, that the people yeah. on the floor or, or in the halls or, or in the offices actually in the cubicles actually end up, you know, what's what, what would actually help them improve the most? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, and it, it's interesting because usually when I talk about what are you going to put together for an agile team to implement a platform. So I've worked with um, a couple of customers that really have an agile methodology um, and they've put together a whole agile team and scrums and, and all sorts of stuff to do that, that they have users and IT, important part, um, as a part of that agile team. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm curious, I'm interested, I'm seeing some comments here about marketing um, to really age myself. I, the other part of my, my career that I have done um, in my career besides uh, learning and development is marketing. So um, it's been sort of a mantra of mine that we need to market what we do. Um, and yeah. when you have a platform of some kind, uh, and any one of those that are in the Fosway 9 grid are players in that market. Um, you can actually do some really cool things to market that. Um, and uh, that's something that is one of the important milestones in implementing digital learning. Um, one of the things that we talked about full circle back to the beginning is to me in the journey to implement digital learning, there are five milestones in there. Um, strategy. Number one, always, always, always number one. Having sponsorship, number two, um, that's sort of the top-down approach, um, but having that sponsorship without it, you're not gonna be really successful. Um, having a good user experience, number three. Uh, building a champion network, number four, and marketing, number five. So those are the five uh, steps that I see are really important to implement a digital learning and any kind of platform. Mm -hmm. Oh. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Oh, wow. Drop that. There in. we go. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one to do, right? I mean, I think for so long we have been creating learning products, right? Or learning uh, even experiences that have been mandatory, right? Or that have been, it's something that's being rolled out. So there was like maybe an, a big implementation and there's training that goes along with it. Maybe it's an enterprise thing of some sort. And so everybody has to take it. So there's always been this larger driver that's gotten people to the stuff that we're creating. And so we've never really had to be marketers, but in this new era of L&D and with these new tools, 
it really is an important part of what we do because there's there's so many different options for users and for learners and even the people we support even for the mandatory stuff you know obviously they got to log into the system and get you know the special check mark for a lot of different things but for a lot of other stuff you know they they don't necessarily need to go to the L&D department there's you know with the internal conversational tools in the chats you'll notice that people are requesting training a lot less mm -hmm. because they have access to the experts more easily just because of better IT uh tech that gets implemented inside the company and i think that's something that gets glossed over a lot or just completely missed i mean because yeah. we don't have the data to tell that story but it's real yeah and those big programs by you by the way are one of the ways that you can best market a new learning system have one of those big programs uh, i've worked with several customers who've done that and people get on to the new system and go hey i can do things with this besides learning sap no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you do the big implementation, you feed it into the system that way, they, they use it just for that one implementation, but then it starts the wheels turning. It's like having a pilot, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, hey, yeah. come up with a reason to show it to people. You don't, that way you don't have to try to sell it to them. They just get a taste of it, right? First yeah. taste is always free, right, J-Rock? Yeah. <laughs> Better be a good first taste though, yes. Yeah, that's right. We are the drug yeah. dealers of learning. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I like the fact somebody called out uh, Bianca Bowman. Uh, Bianca and I are going to be doing a talk together. We're just figuring it all out at DevLearn next year. We're nice. excited about it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Yeah, but J Rock had put in the uh, uh, the mentioning of, of Bianca's book. So if anybody's interested in more and stuff more related to learning uh, L and D and marketing, just scroll a little bit up in the chat and. Uh, uh, he's got the the reference at least to the title there, and we've had Bianca on a couple of times. She's always got lots of good uh, good stuff to help people with, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of conversations around marketing too. So if you guys want to go back into the idiotic archives at idiotic.com, you can check out uh, some of the descriptions there. I think Mike Taylor, we had him on talking about marketing, and uh, Mike's got Taylor some really good tools. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, follow right. follow follow Mike and all of his Friday finds. Yes, all the good, all the good, good, good stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're at that uh, at that interesting point of the show where it's time to start wrapping it up. Thank you so much, Becky, for being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Beck, for dropping in. Put your contact info before we forget uh, where people uh, can find you, what what places you want to connect with people, um, anything like that. Toss that in there. Indeed. And then and while we're doing that, let's uh, yeah, we'll play the music, and Brett and I will cover dance for you while you're while you're typing. <laughs> we've got another great episode it, coming right? at you guys next week too. So we've got Chris Carroll as our guest next week, and he's going to be talking about some video stuff. We're going to bring that conversation back to the idiotic crowd. So talking about how we can do uh, video, <laughs> how we can get cool. better at informal video and and those platforms as well that we can bring in so again it's just another tool in our toolbox so join us next week everybody as soon as we get that event set up we will let you know let's dance Very out cool. of here thanks everybody have a great day there you have it, special effects.